my two daughters, two of our six daughters, um, are here today. Uh, Grace, who's here visiting, she's at UC Davis, uh, graduating here in a few weeks. And um, yeah, and then our daughter, youngest daughter, Abigail. <laughs> she's the only one we have at home. We, we have eight kids. So we have two boys and eight girls, or two boys and six girls. Um, but Abby's the only one left at home. And um, so, yeah, we're thankful to be here with you guys. My wife has a meeting um, at the church today, so she wasn't able to come. Uh, so anyway, she sends her greetings also. So our passage, again, is in 2 Corinthians. We're going to continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I, I love this letter because it's such a personal letter. We really see the, the Apostle Paul revealed here because as we learned last time, there's been um, a lot of difficulty with this church. Paul's visited a couple times. He's written, this is the fourth letter to this church. He sent Titus, he sent Timothy. Um, a lot of water under the bridge and really Paul gets very personal. And last time we learned a lot about the heart of the Apostle Paul, which was helpful to compare our hearts to his and how we respond to trials and difficulties um, as compared to him to see if we're right. And here we're going to learn about Paul's approach to life, how he how he makes his plans. We see this. So we're in chapter one. Our passage is going to be verses 15 through um, 22, 15 through 22. So if you could pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your perfect, pure word, which is tried and tested, refined as gold in the furnace seven times. We know, Lord, that we can trust you. We thank you that you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. Help us to look at your word and to understand that which you have given us, that we might be conformed more into the image of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would help us today. We thank you for those who are here. We thank you for the fellowship. We just uh, praise you for all things, and we ask that you bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, I'm glad that all of you have uh, taken the time to come here, chosen to be here today. Obviously, there's lots of other things you could be doing, um, but you've uh, made the conscious choice to be here. So, um, you know, no judgment on those who aren't here, um, but we will pray for their sin sick, shriveled up souls. But no, really, really no judgment because life is full of choices. Right? We all make lots of choices every day, and um, some have chosen to be here, some haven't. Some of us have chosen to be married, um, but others have instead chosen to stay single. Um, some have retired, and then others have chosen to continue to work. Some of us uh, live in Potter Valley, my family, and you guys are all here in Laytonville. So life is full of choices. Um, and none of them are necessarily absolute moral questions. All of those things we just talked about, none of those are absolute moral explicit sin issues. They're all areas of liberty. They are wisdom issues which each of us need to decide for ourselves. And we do that all day, every day. 
But the question, and here's, here's the issue, how do we decide? How do we decide these questions? On what basis do I make my plans, my decisions? What's the filter? What's the filter that I run all these questions through in order to decide these life questions? And that's what we're going to talk about today. You see, most people, and even most Christians, simply do what most pleases them. What they think is in their own best interest for their comfort, for their satisfaction, their health, their wealth, their pleasure, their benefit. That's their approach. That's how they make these plans. What's best for me? What's best for me? And I plan accordingly. So that's, that's our default. By nature, that's our default because, as Ephesians 5.29 says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. We all love ourselves. Okay? You, you'll sometimes hear it said that this person needs to love himself more, love herself more. That's not true. None of us have a problem with that. We all love ourselves plenty. Okay, the problem is we don't love others the way we're supposed to love ourselves, right? That's the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's a given. I, I love me. And so that's how I make my plans. By nature, I take care of me. I nourish and I cherish myself. So I make plans that please me, that satisfied me according to my expectations, according to my desires, my needs. Paul calls this purposing or planning according to the flesh. Purpose, purposing according to the flesh. To take care of my fleshly priorities. That which most benefits me. I like the mountains. I think I'll live there. I'm tired of California politics. I think I'll move to Idaho. My son plays baseball on Sunday mornings, or I watch, like watching football. That's what I'm going to do Sunday morning. I want a family. I'll get married. I want my freedom. I won't get married. I want a bigger house. I'll take this job. I want more free time. I'll take that job. This job gives me more money. I think I'll do that. So this is how we inherently, by default, make our plans. And again, the choices, there's nothing wrong with any of those choices, but as a Christian, as a Christian, on what am I to base my choices, my decisions, my plans? What's my filter? How do I decide? So our passage today answers that question. It answers that question here in verses 15 through 22. Paul gives the answer to the questions I just asked. Here we learn Paul's approach to making life's decisions. What directed Paul's choices, Paul's plans. And here we learn what our approach must also be to all of life's choices as well. So let's read our passage, verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22, Paul says, In this confidence I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. 
Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in Him. For as many as as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore, also through Him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit, the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. That's our passage. And here Paul gives us four things as we look at this. Four, four things in verses 15 through 16. Paul lists out his initial travel plans for Corinth. Point number one, verses 15 and 16. Paul gives us his initial travel plans for Corinth. Then number two, verse 17. Paul begins to explain his approach to making life's plans. Verse 17, Paul begins to explain his approach to making life's plans. Then third, verses 18 through 20, Paul explains that that approach isn't unique to him, but is also the approach of the others who preached Christ in Corinth. Paul explains that that approach isn't unique to him, but is also the approach of the others who preached Christ in Corinth. And then number four, verses 21 and 22, Paul explains that this approach must be the approach of every Christian. Verses 21 and 22, Paul explains that this approach must be the approach of every Christian. And we we touched on this last time, um, but it's really essential to understand the context of 2 Corinthians, right? There's Again, there's a, a lot of water that's gone under the bridge. There's a lot of things that happened. Uh, Paul's been there twice. He's already sent them. This is the fourth letter. He sent them Timothy. He sent them Titus. And if you don't know all that background, then you, we get lost in all this because we're, we're reading their mail, right? So we need to understand that context. Um, And you can understand that context because all this is just pieced together from Acts 18, Acts 19, Acts 20, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So let me just kind of go over that again so we understand the context. And if we understand the context, then the the intended meaning becomes very clear. But we need to understand the context. So, as recorded in Acts 18, Paul founded the church in Corinth during his second missionary journey. And he remained there a year and a half. That was between like the, the fall of A.D. 50 and the spring of A.D. 52. And then later, probably during his third missionary journey while he was in Ephesus, Paul received word of sexual immorality within the church. And he wrote them the first letter. And that letter is referred to in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. And then while still in Ephesus, Paul received word of further trouble in the church from what are called Chloe's people in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as well as three emissaries who arrived in Ephesus from Corinth 
And they're referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. And that caused Paul to write what we know as 1 Corinthians. And that was during the spring of 55 AD. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in the spring of 55 AD, and he had that delivered from Ephesus to Corinth by Timothy. But then, after that, more disturbing news about the church in Corinth reached Paul, and it's likely from Timothy when he came back to Ephesus. And he told Paul, hey, there's trouble there. And so Paul abruptly changed his plans. And in, in the summer of 55, just a few months after he sent 1 Corinthians, Paul abruptly changes his plans and he goes directly to Corinth um, and he experienced what's called the sorrowful visit. It was the sorrowful visit. It's described in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. That visit was very unsuccessful and it, and it was very painful to Paul. And so... Paul then leaves Corinth in much sorrow and in intense concern for the church at Corinth, and Paul returned to Ephesus in great anguish. While Paul was in Ephesus, he wrote yet another letter known as the severe letter, if you remember that, the severe letter. And that's referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 7. And he had Titus deliver that letter to Corinth from Ephesus. Okay, so if you remember, if you kind of visualize your map, right, Ephesus is up here, and across the Aegean Sea, about 600 miles is Corinth, and so there's land up here, right, and up here is Macedonia, and over here is Greece, and so Paul um, established a church at Corinth, he went back to Jerusalem, came to Ephesus, he wrote that first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, okay, then later on he wrote, um, what's called the letter of 1 Corinthians. He sent that by Timothy down to Corinth. Okay, Timothy is there. He hears that there's trouble in Corinth. He comes back to Paul, tells him there's trouble. Paul changes his plans, and he goes directly to Corinth for this sorrowful visit. Okay, It doesn't go very well, he, and he comes back to Ephesus, and he then decides to send a letter to them. It's called the severe letter. He sends Titus back. Okay? And the plan is that Titus is going to take the letter and Paul's going to leave Ephesus and he's going to go up to Macedonia. And Titus knows this. And they're going to meet somewhere along the route. And Paul is looking for word from Titus as to how the church is doing. Okay? That all happens. Titus meets Paul in Macedonia and in, he tells him that, hey, the church is doing well. And Paul rejoices, and from Macedonia, he writes 2 Corinthians, and he sends it back to Corinth. Okay? So all that, you know, this is years of stuff that's taken place. And you have to understand that to understand what's going on. Okay, so if you have that background, then it makes it a lot easier to understand the letter. So look at verse 15 and 16. There Paul gives his initial travel plans for Corinth. What he told them while he was in Corinth in the summer of 55. Paul says, In this confidence I intended at first to come to you, so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia, and again from Macedonia to come to you, and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. 
So Paul had told them that when he was last in Ephesus, that he would go back to, or that when he was last in Corinth, that he would go to Ephesus and he was going to come directly back to them. Okay? And that after he left them, he would go up to Macedonia, spend time with the churches there, and then come back to them to be helped financially by them as he went to Jerusalem. Okay? The problem is that that isn't what Paul ended up doing. That's not what he ended up doing. Instead of coming back to Corinth, he sent Titus with the severe letter to Corinth, and he went to Macedonia. Okay? That's what happened. And it's now from Macedonia that Paul is writing this letter of 2 Corinthians. So Paul didn't do what he had last told the Corinthians he would do. And so he has to explain himself. That's what we're finding in this passage. He's explaining himself. Because remember, Paul has opponents in Corinth. There's false apostles there. If you read chapters 10 through 12, he's got a lot of opponents. He's had a lot of difficulty with this church. And he recognizes at least the potential for accusations of being fickle or unfaithful. You know, Paul says one thing and then he does another. Paul's indecisive. He can't make up his mind. Or, you know, this guy's unfaithful. You know, he tells us he's going to do one thing, but then he just doesn't carry it out. And by appearances, his opponents have a point. Because he didn't do what he told them he would do. And Paul hasn't changed his plans once, but now a couple times. Because if you go back to 1 Corinthians, just turn to the left, chapter 16... 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5, when Paul's at the end of that letter that he wrote in the spring, Paul says, I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. For I am going through Macedonia. Right? That's what he told them. He's here in Ephesus, and they're in Corinth, and he writes the letter, and he says, I'm going to go to Macedonia, and then I'm going to come to you. Okay? But what does he do? He turns around and he comes to them a few months later, in the summer. Remember that? He came to them after Timothy returned and told them, told him the situation in Corinth. And now, and then when he did go to Corinth, he told them, I'm going to go to Ephesus and come right back. And then I'm going to go to Macedonia and then I'm going to come back. Okay? But he hasn't done that and now he's in Macedonia. Okay? So Paul's gone back and forth and back and forth. And the question is, why? Why did he do that? Why did he change his plans? And that's what Paul explains. So this all sets the stage for the discussion that follows. So in verse 17, verse 17, go back to 2 Corinthians. Paul begins to explain his approach. He begins to explain his approach to all of life's plans, life's decisions. Verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose or plan? Do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? So Paul says, I wasn't vacillating when I intended to do this. I wasn't being fickle or unfaithful when I made those decisions. 
Paul says, it's not that I just can't make up my mind. You know, choices are just so hard. I just really can't decide. I kind of want to go to Corinth, but then I want to go to Macedonia. just can't decide. He doesn't go back and forth. So Paul isn't fickle. It also, it's, he's, he's also not unfaithful. It's also not that he makes plans, but then just doesn't follow through. Okay, he just you know he decides to do this, but then he just you know doesn't doesn't carry it out because that's another possibility. Paul says no, that's also not true, and that's not why I changed my plans. Like he says there, he says, what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? The word purpose is boleio. Boleio, it speaks of how I decide, it speaks of planning, how I make my plans. If you look at just another couple places where the same word is used, look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 53. John 11, verse 53. Speaking of the priest. So from that day on, they planned, they boleio together to kill him. Okay. So this word that's translated purpose really means to plan. How you plan, how you make your plans. Look at chapter 12, John chapter 12, verse 10. On the next day, the large, excuse me, chapter 10. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. Boleio, same word. This word speaks of planning, how I decide things, how I purpose things, what I take into consideration. Paul is speaking of his approach to life's decisions. That's what he's talking about. Go back to 2 Corinthians. So Paul asks, do you think that I'm making these decisions simply by taking into consideration what pleases me? My fleshly desires. Fulfilling my fleshly priorities. Kind of like we do, right? Oftentimes. Like most people do. You know, hey, Macedonia, you know, it's, it's really beautiful this time of year. I think I'd rather go there. Or, you know, uh, I think I'll wait until later because when the Isthmian games are in, in Corinth, that's when I'll go. Um, things like that. Um, no, Paul isn't doing that. He's not making his decisions based on what please him. Paul says no. And look at, look at uh, verse 18. Paul says, But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. Now notice here a subtle change, right? Paul was talking about I and me in verse, um, verse 15 and 16, right? right? He says, In this confidence I intended first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. Um, that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my way, journey to Judea, verse 17. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this. Was I or what I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? But he changes. He changes in verse 18. And it's important to notice that shift. Okay, Paul in verses 15 through 17 is talking about I, me, my. But then beginning in verse 18 and through verse 20, now Paul is speaking not only for himself, 
but also for those who preached the gospel with him in Corinth, Silvanus and Timothy. It's no longer I and my, but now Paul is speaking of us and our. See, Paul says, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So Paul is shifting here. He started speaking about himself, and now he's including Two others, Silvanus and Timothy, those who brought the gospel with him, right? Verse 19, he explains specifically who the us is. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, who's the us? By me and Silvanus and Timothy. They're the ones who brought the gospel. Paul says, it's not, this isn't only my approach, okay? But this is also the approach of Silvanus and Timothy. This is how we together make our plans. Paul makes his plans this way. Timothy makes his plans this way. Sylvanus makes his plans this way. They have a common purpose. Same priorities. And then read, let's read verse 18. He says, But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. Paul says that he, just like Silvanus and Timothy, are not indecisive and they're not unfaithful. They are faithful. They are faithful. Like the God they follow is faithful. Okay? As God is faithful, they are faithful. So Christians are faithful to do what, what we decide, what we plan. We're to be faithful like the God we follow is faithful. So he said, that's not the reason I changed my plans. That's not the reason. Not that I'm unfaithful. Not that we are unfaithful. God follows through, and so does the Apostle Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. They follow through as well. And look at verse 19. He begins to explain. For, it's an explanatory word. Here's why. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in Him. So here he's saying that Paul himself and Silvanus and Timothy, they aren't indecisive or fickle, wavering back and forth between yes and no. Can't really decide. Just don't really know. No, they are, they are definitive. They are definitive. And that's a key point, right? Why? Why? This is, this is important. Because the Christ that they preached is decisive. Christ is certain. There's no wishy-washiness with Christ. It's either yes or it's no. No in between. There's no maybes in Christ. It's either yes or it's no. Maybe God will forgive you. Maybe yes, maybe no. No, Christ isn't like that. Okay? Maybe you'll make it to heaven. Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe Christ will intercede for you. Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe you won't be punished for your sins. Maybe yes, maybe no. No. The Christ that Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus preached is with certainty. It's with assurance. 100% assured. Guaranteed. The realities of Christ are facts. They are unwavering, immutable facts. And everything, listen to this, everything about Christ is either yes or no. It's all either yes or no. Are you fully forgiven in Christ? Yes, 100%. 
Will God ever abandon you? No, 100%. Will you reach glory? Yes, 100%. Can you lose your salvation? No, 100%. Are you promised heaven? Yes. Will Christ ever fail to intercede for you? No. If you're in Christ, is the Holy Spirit in you? Yes. Would the Holy Spirit then ever leave you? No, 100%. Can you make God tired of you? No. Will you share in Christ's inheritance? Yes, 100%. So the truths of Christ are never yes and no. They're always yes or no. Everything about Christ is either yes or no, a certainty. Okay? Therefore, we aren't indecisive. We aren't fickle. We don't vacillate. Because Christ isn't fickle. Christ doesn't vacillate. And then look at verse 20. He begins to explain more. Another four. Another explanatory verse. For as many as are the promises of God in Him, they are yes. For as many as are the promises of God in Him, they are yes. Okay, the in Him speaks of union to Christ, right? Union to Christ. By faith, I'm united to Christ. So that when God looks at me, He sees Christ. And when God looked at Christ, He saw me. And my sin was punished on the cross in Christ because I'm united to Him. And I receive His righteousness because I'm united to Him. So, in Christ, this is speaking of union to Christ. In union to Christ, we are the recipients of all the promises of God. For as many as are the promises of God in Him, in union to Christ, they are yes. Absolute certainty. The whole, the whole ball of wax. Recipients of all the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes if I'm in Christ. If I am united to Christ through faith, I am the recipient of every promise of God. So that's the pivotal issue. That's the pivotal issue of all issues is whether you're in Christ or not in Christ. That's what decides everything. If I'm in Christ, I receive everything. All the promises of God. If I'm not in Christ, I receive nothing. I receive only the wrath of God. So that Christ is the pivotal issue. Union to Christ is the pivotal issue. And if He's the issue about everything... If being in Him is the deciding factor for everything, then He must be my approach. That which concerns being in Christ must be my approach. Now, and that's what Paul says. That's what he says here. Chapter uh, 1, verse 20. Second half of verse 20. He says, Therefore also through Him is our Amen. Amen means to be in hearty agreement. Okay? I'm in hearty agreement. This is how I decide. This is how I make my plans, my decisions. It's the things that are through Christ. Therefore also through Him is our amen, hearty agreement to the glory of God through us. That's how I, that's my approach. Union to Christ is my approach. Christ is my approach. Because that's the pivotal issue and that's what decides all my plans. All my decisions. 
How does it affect my union to Christ? How does it affect others' union to Christ? How does it affect the church? How does it affect the glory of God? That's what I base my plans on. I don't make my plans according to the flesh, that which pleases me. I make my plans according to what furthers union to Christ in me and in others, in the church, in the salvation of the lost. That's what determines making my plans. Union to Christ is everything. Look at, look at Ephesians, just a, a great passage. It's the longest, longest sentence, actually, anywhere in Scripture. I think anywhere, anywhere. it's 201 words in the Greek. It's from it's 1 Corinthians 3 through verse 14, all one sentence. And it's all about the blessings that are ours in Christ. And everything has to do with being in Him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And notice, we often, we often miss the language here. We, you know, we, we think Paul just kind of talks funny, right? When he talks about being in Christ and in Him and in the Beloved. No, he's, he's talking about union to Christ. And in union to Christ... We have everything, and that's just so critical. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, what? In Christ. If I'm united to Christ, I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he begins to list them. From eternity past to eternity future, he lists them from verse 4 all the way through 14. For just as he chose us in him, in union to Christ, before the foundation of the world. This is election. Okay, It's about being in Christ. That we would be holy and blameless before Him. This is eternity future. Being glorified. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, in Christ, in union to Christ. Verse 6. Verse 7, in Him, in union to Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, in union to Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the gospel of truth, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a key to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. It's all about being in Christ. Everything important for all eternity hinges on that one issue of being in Christ. And therefore that's the issue that should dictate my choices, my plans in every situation. So Christ is the issue. Being in Christ is the issue. In Christ, all the promises of God are yes. Not in Christ, all the promises of God are no. So which choices, which plans best further that goal, the goal of being in Christ? That's that's how I decide. Which choices best further the gospel? Which choices best further the growth and sanctification of the church? individual believers, myself. Which choices most advance the kingdom of God? 
Which choices best advance the glory of God? Those are the plans I make. That's how I make my decisions. That's how I'm to live my life. Go back to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter one. Look at verse twenty. For as many as are the promises of God promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen. We're in agreement. This is what we do, this is how we decide to the glory of God through us. Verse 21, now here, Paul begins to bring us all into it, okay? He's, he's explained that this is his approach. This is the approach of Sylvanus and Timothy as well. And now he, he draws us all into this as well. The believers in Corinth and also believers in Laytonville, Potter Valley as well. He says, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Okay, so Paul here is reflecting on four privileges, four privileges that we all have as Christians, not just Paul and Timothy and Silas, but every one of us, right? What does he say? For as many as are, excuse me, verse 21, for he who establishes us, that's Paul and Timothy and Silas, with you, that's the believers in Corinth, that would be the believers in Laytonville, the believers in Potter Valley and believers wherever there are believers, in Christ, see that union to Christ, that's the first privilege. The first privilege is that not only is Paul and Silvanus and Timothy united to Christ, not only are they in him, but so are we. We're in him as well. We share this as well. We share this privilege. Secondly, a second privilege, not only are we in Christ, but we're also anointed. Okay? He establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us, that's all believers, Okay, Paul is lassoed everybody into this group now. All the us is everybody, everybody who is in Christ. God has anointed us. Like the kings and the priests in the Old Testament, or as Christ is called the anointed in Psalm 2, that's what the Messiah means or Christos. He's the anointed. It's to be, to be chosen by God for a specific role and task to be chosen by God for a specific role and task. Every believer has been anointed in that sense, has been chosen by God for a specific role and task by God to carry that out. And one place that we see that, if you look at Ephesians, go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10 
verses 8 and 9 talk about how we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Verse 10 speaks of why we're saved. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We have been saved to do good works. God has chosen us, set us out for a purpose, for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. From before the foundation of the world, God had a path laid out for us, good works that we would walk in. God has anointed us for that purpose. We've all been anointed in that sense. Not just Paul and Silas and Timothy, but all of us as well have been chosen by God and set out for a purpose. That is a tremendous privilege. And with that privilege comes responsibility. That's what we're going to see. Go back to 2 Corinthians. We're going to see the third privilege that we have. Verse 21, he who establishes us with you in Christ, that's the first privilege, being united to Christ, and anointed us, that's the second privilege, who also sealed us, that's the third privilege. Okay, All believers, like Paul, Silas, and Timothy, have been sealed. And if you remember from your Bible, sealing was a common thing that was done in the ancient world. Um, kings and others would seal, they'd place a seal, like if you remember, um, the, the Romans placed a seal on Christ's tomb, right? They would place clay or wax, and then they would roll the seal, okay? They would roll the seal, and, and that indicated that whoever messed with the seal messed with the authority of the one placing the seal, okay? Or remember Daniel in the lion's den, right? Uh, King Darius, he sealed the lion's den, and recently, it's kind of cool, there was found a, a ring. It was a, a signet ring or a seal ring um, that was either it was either uh, Caesar Augustus or probably one of his lower officials that it had his picture imprinted in it. And so they would either use a ring that they would you know push against the clay or the wax, or they would use a cylinder that they often wore on their neck that they would roll across the clay or the wax that had that embounded... Um, on, on the surface of the cylinder to place the seal. So that's what, that's what happened. Okay, that's how they did that. When, when it says that we are sealed by God, that means God has placed His seal on us. And so we then are kept and protected by Him. Whoever wants to get to us, one has to go through Him, go through God. So we have all been sealed. We are all under the protection and the authority of God. We've been sealed. By God. And then the fourth privilege, the last privilege, is that we have all been given the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Say to the God who placed us in Christ, who anointed us, calling us to a specific role or task, and who has sealed us, giving us His protection, being under His authority, has also placed within us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit here is called a pledge. It's a promise, kind of like a, an engagement ring. Okay, It's, it's, a, it's a guarantee of, of sincerity. It's a guarantee that one will fulfill the promise. 
Kind of like a like an engagement ring, right? My our son recently got married, right? And you know, I mean, he he drives like a two thousand dollar car, and he bought his his fiance like a five thousand dollar engagement ring. Well, he is serious, right? I mean, he's showing. I mean this, right? Um, that's what God does by giving us the Holy Spirit. It, it is a pledge. The Holy Spirit in us is a pledge. And think, you know, what greater thing could God give? You might say, well, man, if he had given me a million dollars, but God can create from nothing, right? What's that to God? He can create another million dollars, right? He gave us something that is not created. He gave us the third person of the Trinity to be within us, to prove his sincerity that, yes, I'm going to fulfill all the promises I've made to you. And you have my guarantee on that by me giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a pledge that God is going to fulfill all of His promises in us to us one day. So God has given us the pledge, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. And He didn't just give that to Paul, and He didn't just give that to Sylvanus or Timothy. He's given that also to us. So because of that, because we're all in the same boat here, okay, Christ then must be our approach. He must be how we plan. Everything that pertains to union with Christ, to further that, to enhance that. Not for my pleasure, not for my fleshly desires or preferences, but everything that furthers the union with Christ, that's how I decide, that's how we decide everything. Christ's priorities must be our priorities. Our plans must be then be made accordingly. So that's how we're to live. Okay? Not what pleases me. Not what most satisfies me. Should I get married or get single? I don't know. What more furthers union to Christ? Should I live here or should I live there? I don't know. What most furthers union to Christ? Should I take this job or that job? I don't know. What most furthers union to Christ? Should I keep working or should I retire? I don't know. What most furthers union to Christ? Christ is our purpose. We adopt His priorities and then we make all decisions accordingly. That's, our, that's how we purpose. That's how we are to plan. And it's all for the glory of God.